Hello. AP exams are looming on the horizon. They're not a thing to be feared or worried about or really even studied for in an obsessive, all-consuming manner. They just are. If one does well on the test, they are considered intelligent. If not, well, perhaps not dumb, they will be considered merely average by their peers. Yet AP exams are not a true measure of intelligence, not one that we've carefully devised and formatted throughout the years to fit our every cerebral need. That peculiar distinction of the ultimate IQ test, I'm not sure if that distinction is good or bad, or all I know is that it's not quite laudable, but that distinction goes to the much-discussed IQ test. While society's perceptions of IQ have undergone a rapid facelift in past years, cries of cultural, racial, and socioeconomic biases and questions have been raised, there still is one thing that particularly bothers me about the test. That it exists at all. Yes, I understand that some form of intellectual measurement is required in order to meet kids where they're at and form a stimulating and appropriately challenging educational environment. That's all very well and good. It's a brilliant idea. But, like so many schemes for utopias, of commerce, or government, or any form of organization that drags tendrils into our lives, <clears throat> communism, <clears throat> some have managed to pervert and corrupt this ideal, this test, into something that, for all intents and purposes, does the very opposite of what it's set out to do. In today's American educational system, uh, now, I can only speak for what I know, so if any international listeners have specific insights that they'd like to share, I'd really love to hear your thoughts on your educational systems. We place the emphasis on classification rather than edification. In other words, once someone is labeled as bright or not, they'll stay on that track until kingdom come. Teaching the students and helping them grow and noticing whether they've changed enough to be placed on a different intellectual track are not on the general docket, unless you've got some remarkable teachers, some of whom I've had the good fortune of encountering. Americans especially tend to place a great deal of emphasis on whatever skills and abilities, be they intellectual or otherwise, you come out of the box with. It is the prodigies, the geniuses, the ones who spewed about revolutionary mathematical or creative dogma out of their mouths at six months who are revered for us Yankees. You can learn things, sure, but that's an afterthought, and many never regard those who acquired their skills later in life as up to par with their prodigy counterparts. It's not to say that some people don't have a genetic predisposition for some tasks that will help them advance further and faster than others. That component certainly shouldn't be ignored. I, for one, know that my physical skill set will elicit cringe upon cringe from gym teachers everywhere until the day I die. But just by virtue of having remarkable skills at childhood does not mean that one will become lauded by the ages as a wonder in whatever field they occupy. Allow me to toss out a name. Mozart. He's the ultimate image of a child prodigy in the minds of many, composing by the age of five and attaining worldwide recognition even today. 
It is undebatable that he is one of the pillars of classical music, a visionary beyond belief, even though I must say I much prefer Ravel. But for every Mozart, for every child who insists on showing prodigious ability and burgeons outward to full genius, there is someone like Georgia O'Keeffe or Vivian Meyer who weren't proficient with a paintbrush and a camera from the moment they first started to walk. In Meyer's case, actually, she's someone who didn't stumble upon her creativity until much later in life. These people are just as creative, just as prolific, just as game-changing as someone like Mozart, I must say. How do we know that, just because someone isn't an intellectual or creative or athletic prodigy by the time they learn to walk, they will never produce something of worth? How do we know? But allow me to stress, I have absolutely nothing against any prodigy anywhere. People all around the world who create and express themselves by doing what they love, however old they are, I respect that quality immensely and laud anyone who pursues that path to self-growth. It is the flawed system that I comment upon here, the system that ranks those who accomplish things while still young as somehow better than those who don't, a system that, at its worst, can be limiting, constraining, inconducive to growth at all, instead of stimulating and challenging, instead of bringing everyone to their full potential, regardless of whether they reach it at five or fifty. Whether it be an intelligence or anything beyond, I believe that we as a society place far too much emphasis on where children, and people in general, start versus where they end up. This is not to say that there are no good teachers out there. As I said before, many educators do attempt to meet kids where they're at and help them grow from there. But the educational system and our perceptions as a whole country trend toward putting the early achievers on a pedestal and discarding everyone else as merely average. Self-fulfilling prophecies are entirely real and psychologically proven. What we expect, what we are told about ourselves and others, that is what we do and what we see in ourselves and in others. The human mind has a remarkable ability to shape the world and itself to expectations implanted in our minds by external influences. This means that if children are told that they are average, they will become average. They will not let whatever seeds of creativity, of intelligence, of academic prowess that are implanted in themselves, of waiting for, waiting for the correct time to sprout, they won't let them ever emerge. This expectation of mediocrity is tainting us and making us never live up to what we can truly become. This style of classification and categorization also doesn't quite benefit those who fall on the upper end of the spectrum in whatever field they occupy. I can speak from experience. Oftentimes teachers or coaches or other instructors place those above average in their own little pod, in their own little world, and let us wander off by ourselves into whatever intellectual forays we desire. This is not all bad. No, in fact, I found several of my most interesting ideas and leads for stories, for philosophy, for other ways to stretch my mind on these independent studies. But it is a very different matter to be presented with a stimulating construct from someone else's mind and asked to address it, for it requires a whole new use of the brain, a growing use, a stretching use, a use that oftentimes is stifled in this system of classifications.'
even worse, once classifications are made, those on the upper end of the spectrum are sometimes placed in normal situations in order to, by virtue of their presence, an idea contribution, quote-unquote, bring up their peers to the same level. It is stultifying that much I can tell you, but oftentimes it is just as detrimental to those whom the strategy is supposed to help, for they close their mouths and minds and let their perceived superior, how far from the truth that perception really is, do all the talking. This classification, this reliance on innate ability and inflexibility to think otherwise after the initial categorization, it does no good for anyone, from self-fulfilling prophecies to stultifying situations. Rigidity does not pay. It can never pay. One needs to have a willingness to change perceptions of students, of creators, of humans at any stage in their life. People can change. Creativity at age 5 is not any more valuable than potential creativity at age 65. We must learn to nurture the flickering, intricate, yet oh-so-beautiful process of change and advanced and constant expansion of mind, body, and abilities. There is no excuse for supporting some and quashing others just by virtue of youth or elderliness or that vast battlefield in between. The middle way. The fluid way. The way that does not lock classifications in place, that does not write pronouncements in stone, but instead in ever-changing sand. That is how we must model our perceptions of of talent, of intelligence, of genius, in order to create a more full and beautiful world. And that is why, for today's poem, I have chosen Ode to My Socks by Pablo Neruda. Maramori brought me a pair of socks which she knitted herself with her sheep herder's hands. Two socks as soft as rabbits. I slipped my feet into them as if they were two cases knitted with threads of twilight and goatskin. Violent socks. My feet were two fish made of wool, two long sharks, sea blue shot through by one golden thread, two immense blackbirds, two cannons. My feet were honored in this way by these heavenly socks. They were so handsome for the first time. My feet seemed to me unacceptable like two decrepit firemen, firemen unworthy of that woven fire, of those glowing socks. Nevertheless, I resisted that sharp temptation to save them somewhere as schoolboys kept fireflies, as learned men collect sacred texts, I resisted the mad impulse to put them in a golden cage and each day give them birdseed and pieces of pink melon like explorers in the jungle who hand over the very rare green deer to the spit and eat it with remorse. I stretched out my feet and pulled on the magnificent socks and then my shoes. The moral of my ode is this. 
beauty is twice beauty. And what is good is doubly good. When it is a matter of two socks made of wool in winter. Change is beneficial. Change is beautiful. A state of constant preservation, of being forever locked in a golden cage, of being forever locked in an intellectual classification that can never become true, become real, cut to the quick of creativity and skill and joy and pierce the soul in a thousand different places. Let our perceptions shift, be sad, be constantly changing to meet the situation and embrace it where it's at. Let the socks free. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Contact me at explore.silence.podcast at gmail.com And please, if you feel that this twice-monthly podcast made a modicum of difference in your mind for a fraction of a second, share it with someone. A friend? A neighbor? A stranger passing by? Anyone is fair game. Thank you.